Today we're wrapping up a short beginning of the year series um, on the Psalms called Yes, You Can Pray That. We've looked at a few of the Psalms. These are songs of uh, prayer songs in the Old Testament. Then they're used by Jesus and others in the New Testament, and they continue to form the core content of Christian prayer today. Our primary goal has been to invite the community, all of us, to begin the habit, or maybe continue in some cases, the habit of praying a psalm every day. Um, This is what we're inviting the whole church to do in 2023, to pray a psalm every day. And we've got a couple tools to help with that. We've got a new website called A Daily Psalm dot com forward slash Emmaus, and that'll help us stay on the same page or literally on the same psalm as we move throughout the months of the year. You can go to a daily psalm.com forward slash Emmaus and see what psalm the whole church is reading that day. And then another tool has been this podcast that we've released. We're up to like 22 reflections, daily reflections on the first. We'll do the first 30 psalms. You can get that anywhere you find podcasts. Spotify or Apple Podcasts or those kinds of things. Our secondary goal, so our first goal was to encourage everybody to read a psalm, pray a psalm together. Our secondary goal was to encourage one another towards greater honesty um, in prayer to God. The, The psalms reflect this remarkable range of emotions and feelings. They demonstrate how people historically have brought their emotions to God, even emotions that you might feel but not not feel necessarily are okay to bring to God, like anger or resentment or even a desire for revenge. We see in the Psalms how people bring unsanitized feelings and emotions to the Lord as part of their worship. Um, And this is important for us to see models of this. So we've wanted to encourage one another towards a more honest and open relationship with God. We've wanted to say, yes, you can pray that in the sense that God is big enough to handle our real emotions, big enough to handle um, and wanting to handle an honest relationship with you. God's going to transform all of us into holiness. He's going to change us from where we are to where we need to be. But all real and helpful relationships begin with honesty. And sometimes that's challenging, like when somebody that you admire comes over to your house and your kitchen's a mess. And like it's a little bit challenging to just be totally honest and transparent, right? But that's where real and honest um, relationships begin. So that was the second goal. And then finally, my goal this morning is to take us one step further and not to say simply you can pray the things that you read um, people praying in the Psalms. But I want to say this morning, you should pray the things that you read people praying in the Psalms. You should pray them. In other words, I hope that through greater and more intentional exposure to the historic prayers of the people of God, that we would be shaped towards a more well-rounded prayer life, that we would pray a wider variety and and basically um, a healthier balance of prayers to God. And this is what I mean. Specifically, I want to encourage us to praise God more. To praise God more. I found that as I've prayed the Psalms, I prayed the Psalms through twice in 2022. I found myself praising God more. This was a needed corrective for me in my prayer life. Because oftentimes I read in the morning, and oftentimes I'll get up in the morning, I'll feel flat, I'll feel frustrated, I'll feel tired, I'll feel sad, I'll feel overwhelmed. I don't necessarily feel like praising God, but the Psalms, they challenge and invite me to join my mind with my lips, to join my heart with the words of the Psalms, and they challenge me to lift up my heart and to praise the Lord. 
This was a really needed corrective for me. So praying the Psalms challenges us on a number of levels. This morning I want to focus on how praying the Psalms challenges us to praise God more. Many of you ask God for help in your prayers, and that's beautiful. You should pray that. Many of you thank God for things when you pray, and that's wonderful and appropriate, and you should, you should pray that. This morning, I want to take a few moments to encourage you to praise God more, and I don't necessarily mean spending more time praising God, though that would probably be great, but I mean specifically praising God in more situations. You see the difference? So potentially there's two or three situations that very naturally compel you to praise God. Lately I've been out in the morning, the sunsets have, or the sunrises have been beautiful. The sunrises just sort of naturally compel me to praise the Lord. The goal today would be to encourage us to maybe expand our number of situations that propel us to praise God from maybe two or three to six or seven. Maybe there's more situations or circumstances in which we could praise God. I've been challenged and helped the last two weeks by the, um, by the writings of an American monk named Thomas Merton. He died in 1968. Merton says that the primary purpose of the Psalms is to give praise to God in all kinds of circumstances. In other words, Merton says that the Psalms show us how to go through all of life's experiences with our life oriented to God. That's really helpful to learn. Because we, we know how to orient our lives towards God in certain circumstances, but definitely not in all circumstances. There are some circumstances like sadness, which often turn us inward. There's circumstances like when we experience anger that turn us outward in sort of a revengeful or uh, ant like antagonistic way. We want to be turning our sadness towards God. We want to allow our anger to be honest, but also to, to lead us toward God. Even experiencing loss, how do you experience loss and then allow the loss to turn you towards God? The Psalms show us how to do that in all these cases and in the presence of all of these emotions. So that's where we're headed today. I'm going to read Psalm 103 in a few sections. I'm going to share three thoughts about the Psalms. And then we'll end by inviting, I'm going to invite several of you to stand up at the end of the sermon and give a word of praise to God. Okay. Psalm 103 of David, number one verse. Here's how it begins. Praise the Lord, my soul, all my inmost being. Praise his holy name. Friends, I was so deeply moved, and I so appreciated Amy Belanca's invitation to worship God at Matty Ochoa's funeral a couple of weeks ago. Some of you were there. Sometimes, she said, we have to tell our own souls it's time to praise the Lord, right? There's this language in the Psalms where the psalmist, the writer, is talking to his own soul and telling his own soul, it's like rousing his own soul, it's time to praise the Lord. And Amy led us into that funeral experience by saying, we may need to, like, encourage our own selves, our souls, to praise the Lord. And then I was just, oh my goodness, taken to another level of um, being moved when, as we started to sing, seated, Erica, Maddie's mom, stands up in the middle of the front row and lifts her hands to Jesus. Like, this is what we're doing here, friends. We're going to praise the Lord. Right? Modeling 
how to bring sadness into the presence of God. It was like she was saying, this is a situation. Maybe a funeral is not a situation that naturally compels you to praise the Lord. Maybe it's not in your three things, your three situations that compel you to praise the Lord. And then Erica says, well, here, here it is now. Like, here's, here's situation number four, funeral. May funerals compel you to praise the Lord. So this is what David is doing as he starts the prayer. He says, praise the Lord my soul. All my inmost being praise his holy name. Then David launches into the first theme of this psalm, which is reasons for praise. Reasons for praise. The word he uses is benefits. Verse 2, praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all his benefits. And now David is going to list like 17 or 18 benefits of being in relationship with his creator. These are reasons he's giving to his soul to remember to praise the Lord. Verse 3 through 12. He forgives all your sins. He heals all your diseases. Who redeems your life from the pit. Crowns you with love and compassion, who satisfies your desires with good things, so your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. He has made known his way to Moses and his deeds to the people of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities or our sins. God doesn't do the whole, well, she deserves it or he deserves it. Doesn't treat us as our sins deserve. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. If we are struggling to find reasons to praise the Lord today, David just gave us almost two dozen reasons to do so ways or reasons to do so. He also models something which, which is really powerful, which is making a list of things that he can look to as a reason to praise the Lord. Um, notice that David is not just thanking God, but he's praising God. Thanking God is really important and good and valuable, but it's not the same as praising God. What's the difference between thanking God and praising God. Here's an example. My wife, Carmen, usually cooks dinner for our family. I, I also cook, but um, I have a limited cooking repertoire. And so when people get tired of pancakes, usually Carmen steps in and she takes over again and, uh, and makes dinner for our family. And Carmen is a really, she's just a really good cook. She's just exceptionally good. And so in our family, we always thank the cook. And so I will say, Carmen, thanks for dinner. The kids will say, hey, mom, thanks for dinner. Um, but she's just really good at this. She puts time and creativity and a lot of energy and love into the meal. And so the food is often just really delicious, and the experience of the meal is often really enjoyable, not just because we're all together, but because of the food. 
because of the food. And, and in these cases, our kids will thank her for cooking. They'll say, Mom, thanks for dinner. But then things will kind of escalate to a point of praise occasionally, right? Mom, this is delicious. Mom, you're an amazing cook, right? All of them were home for Christmas. Sienna, at one point, our daughter, she said, Mom, there is nothing like your food, right? Isaiah said, Mom, your food is my love language. <laughs> and Matthias says, Mom, I love being Nicaraguan, right? Isn't that awesome? These are words of praise. These are words of praise. Saying thank you is great. But really, thank you is just the acknowledgement that you've received something, right? There's a difference between transaction and adoration. And in Psalm 103, as in so many psalms, David is not just thanking God. He's stepping it up to a level of adoration. He's praising God because he's engaged in a relationship with God that is not just transactional. It's not just getting stuff from God. Thank you very much. I must have paid for it at some point. No, it's praise. It's adoration. He sings to God. He stands up and raises his hands before the Lord. He bows down before God. He engages his heart, his mind, his soul, his strength in worship of God. So the first part of Psalm 103, David hits like 20 reasons to praise God for what God does, for who God is. David tells himself, forget not his benefits. In his book, Praying the Psalms, this monk, Thomas Merton, writes, we don't really think we need God. Least of all do we think we need to praise God. In other words, most of the time we're, we're pretty self-sufficient. We kind of feel like we have it handled. Most of the time we're more aware of ourselves than we are aware of God. Most of the time we need reminders to even thank God, let alone to praise God. And that's why David is reminding himself of the reasons he has to praise God. What reasons do you have to praise God? I'm going to ask you to, to, to write a couple down. Let's pause for a second. Um, and let's just write down a few reasons that you have to praise God. If you need a reminder, look at Psalm 103. For me, it starts with things that I have to thank God for, and that's fine. And, and then, I, then I need to praise God for the character that motivates that provision. That's often what I'm praising God for, his good character that has 
motivated him to provide these things? Maybe some of the ways he has shown up in my life or some of the assurances I have about who, he, who God is. Write down a few ways or a few, not ways, a few reasons to praise the Lord. All right, the next section of the psalm, in the next section, David focuses on God as a good parent, which I think is the most helpful metaphor for us for relating to God. God as a good parent. Here are verses 13 through 18. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we are formed He remembers that we are dust. The life of mortals is like grass. They flourish like a flower of the field. The wind blows over it, and it is gone. And its place remembers it no more. But from everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear him, and his righteousness with their children's children, with those who keep his covenant and remember to obey his precepts. I just love this section. These words bless me so much. God is pictured as a compassionate father, as a compassionate father. And there are two parts to that just reflected in these verses. The first is that God, as a compassionate father, knows how limited we are as his children. He knows that our lives are short, and he knows that our direct impact on the world is very temporary. In this reflection on the psalm, this 4th century Christian leader named Gregory of Nazianzus, he refers to our existence as, quote, very transitory. He writes this. He says, our whole lives are like the flight of a bird or a ship that leaves no trace on the sea. Those are some powerful images. Our whole lives are like the flight of a bird or like the ship that leaves no path or no trace on the sea. Gregory's words are actually kind of difficult for me to read because he he focuses so intensely on how fleeting our life is. And I feel a real tenderness to that reality at this stage in the game, in in this season of of my life. Um, And so it's hard for me to read these words. But Seeing God as a compassionate father is super helpful. Kind of like when a compassionate father holds a crying child. Imagine this for a second. Compassionate father holding this crying child with an awareness of how very transitory this moment of pain really is. There's an awareness this is just going to take a moment. Now the child's whole life is consumed with the pain. As far as the kid's concerned, this is reality forever. Right, my, my knee is going to bleed and it's going to hurt forever. The father in his compassion knows this is very temporary. And then the other thing the compassionate father knows is that the child has a very limited capacity to recognize that it's transitory, to recognize that it's short. And this, both the, the recognition that this is a brief pain 
and my child has a limited capacity to really comprehend what's happening, it just brings this deep compassion, this compassionate relationship between the father and the son. And then the second part of what King David says about God as a compassionate father is that God will not forget us like the world does. So this life is super transitory, Gregory of Nazianzus observes. Our whole life is like a bird that just flew by. But God, his love remains forever. So there's this contrast between the two. God, the compassionate parent, he knows that the wind blows over our lives and then they're gone and we will be remembered no more. But, David says, from everlasting to everlasting, God's love is with those who fear him. So there's this contrast. A couple generations and no one's going to remember me. But God's love will always be with me. He will always remember me. Right? The God who was and is and is to come, his love will be with me forever and not just with me and not just with you, but with our children and with their children. As we follow his ways, we're going to continue to experience his goodness. And disappointments cannot divert God's love because God's love always pursues us. And, and sin will not um, put a, a hesitation in God's love, or will frustrate God's love because God loves us unconditionally, right? Even death cannot stop God's love because God's love has defeated death. God is a good parent. He's a compassionate father. He's like a faithful, nurturing mother. So the reasons we have for praising God may change, but we will always have reasons for praising God because God doesn't change. God has been, is, and always will be worthy of praise, right? So there's this constant, whatever's going on, whatever season of life I'm in, even when my life is done, God is worthy of praise. And then the final part of this psalm, David ends by emphasizing just how profoundly warranted is the praise of God. He goes from this intimate, familial metaphor of a loving parent to the last verses are of this cosmic, eternal reality of the ongoing and endless praise of God before the throne in heaven. Here are the last few verses of the psalm. Verse 19 the Lord has established his throne in heaven and his kingdom rules over all. Praise the Lord, you his angels, you mighty ones who do his bidding, who obey his word. Praise the Lord, all his heavenly hosts, these are other spiritual beings, you servants who do his will. Praise the Lord, all his works, everywhere in dominion, in other words, all of creation, Praise the Lord. And then finally, David returns to where he began. Praise the Lord, O my soul. <clears throat> A few quotes from Thomas Merton that I found so helpful as we wrap up this series. He writes, the real purpose of a psalm is to praise the Lord. He says that the Psalms are prayers that will enable us to surrender ourselves to God, even in difficult times. 
even in the face of trouble. These are prayers that will lead us into surrender to God. Here's my favorite quote from Merton. The Psalms are songs. Sorry, I was just looking at you, Melissa. That wasn't the, that wasn't the look. The look comes later. Yeah. The signal to come to the piano comes later. <laughs> She's ready, though. You'd be playing for a long time. I'm not quite done. Um, the, the song, here's my favorite quote. The Psalms are songs of men who knew who God was. Isn't that good? The Psalms are songs of men who knew who God was. And then speaking of the church, he writes, there are no songs which better express her soul, her desires, her longings, her sorrows, and her joys. The church loves the Psalms because in them she sings of her experience of God. So good. All right. I'm going to try to give you a couple of images as we wrap up. Can you tell me, tell me what's wrong with this picture? How about this? <laughs> Did you get it? It's backwards, right? The biggest difference between a youth pastor and a pastor is that um, that would have been like 90% of my sermon if I was a youth pastor and I'd have like just a little bit. You just get little glimpses of that. But I always miss that part. I like that part a lot. Um, Merton says that if our read, it's, it's very common for us when we meet together to talk about the Bible to say, what did you get out of that? What did you take away from that? What was helpful for you about that? Merton writes, if we seek only to get something out of the Psalms, we will perhaps get less than we expect. And generous efforts may be frustrated because they are turned in the wrong direction toward ourselves rather than toward God. In other words, there are good things for us in the Psalms. They are a treasure chest of comfort, of insight, of wisdom. But the ultimate design of the Psalms, friends, is to point toward God. These are tools available to us to use in order to turn our souls toward God, our creator and our true lover. Praise the Lord, my soul. All my inmost being, praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Amen? We rarely do this kind of thing, but I think it would be appropriate in response to this short teaching. Are there any of you who would stand up and in a sentence or two, we're not looking for big stories, just words of praise. Are there any of you who would just stand up and simply say, I give praise to God for this. Or I praise God because this. 
Would anyone like to praise the Lord in our community this morning? Tony, go ahead. Praise God for my shortcomings because they caused me to seek him. Thank you. For the gift to see, live in, and see creation. Thank you, Melissa. Debbie, go ahead. Thank you, Debbie. Chris, I see you. Go ahead. Amen. Amen. Dimitri, go ahead, brother. Amen. 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 Thank you for that. He knows everything and still loves us. Go ahead, Mike. Abundant grace, mercy, and peace. Thank you, Michael. Anyone else? Um, oh, there we are, Julie. I'm seeing a lot of hands wave, but I wasn't. Okay, go ahead. Julie. So grateful for that. Amen. Amen. Well, let's pray together.